BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey there, everyone from KQED Public Radio. This is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we're welcoming a woman who represents thousands of California businesses in the state capitol as president and CEO of the California Chamber of Commerce, better known as Cal Chamber. That's right. We've actually had several labor leaders here on the show recently. Today, we're thrilled to have Jennifer Barrera here with us. She took over the powerful advocacy organization in 2021. We'll talk about her path to this role and what the chamber would like to see live and die legislatively this year. But first, Scott, uh, speaking of uh, bills that the chamber might be opposed to, uh, (laughs) the Senate did today pass out uh, this package or this bill that the governor has been pushing since the fall. This is an attempt by the uh, Newsom administration to kind of rein in oil profits and, and prevent future kind of huge spikes like we saw last year in gas prices. Whether or not it'll do that is a subject of debate, but it is very different from what the governor called for back in September. Absolutely. And of course, that's when gas prices were really through the roof and uh, people were very unhappy. And of course, there was an election coming up as well. And the governor wanted to tax excessive oil profits, depending on how you define that. That got reduced to a penalty, which didn't require a two-thirds vote. And now you could say this is the incredible shrinking idea, which is now empowering the California Energy Commission to basically the regulate, put it in the hands of regulators who can right. look into, we've gone from taxing to looking into problems with uh, pricing structure. So I think it's really about providing more information, more transparency, uh, and, uh, you know, trying to uh, shed some light on why gas prices in California are so much higher than they are uh, in other parts of the country. We know some of the reasons, like taxes, uh, but there, there's probably some other reasons that are kind of a big black box. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, (laughs) still controversial, but in a way, probably better policy than what the governor first came out with. What we heard from a lot of the outside experts at a hearing about a month ago was that this is an industry that where there's a lot of opacity, where we don't really understand the way prices are set, the way the kind of a whole like structure works when we talk about, you know, refining oil down to when it gets pumped into your gas tank. Um, and so I think in a way, the Newsom administration would say, look, we, you know, went through a process. We, and we came out with something better. Um, you know, I think the question is, does it actually have an impact on consumers and whether or not long term we actually get some of this information? What we heard at that hearing also was that a lot of this, these things have, have been asked for for decades and have never, you know, because of issues with um 
you know, uh, competitive, you know, antitrust laws, things like Trade that. Trade secrets, all that right. stuff. Right. So yeah. we'll have to see how it goes. Uh, we're expecting a final vote next week in the assembly. Um, and if it gets sent to the governor's desk, that he would sign that immediately and that it would essentially go into effect, I think, in 30 days. Yeah, although I would expect the oil industry perhaps to challenge it at one point, uh, especially if they get, uh, if there is some levy against them, some kind of penalty. Uh, but at least the governor can say he did something. Uh, and for a while, this was really in deep freeze, I think, for several months. And now at least it's moving along. It's on a fast track. Uh, and of course, I think, you know, some Democrats and others are concerned about unintended consequences. Um, and I personally wonder, you know, it's sort of like campaign finance reform. You know, you you try to uh, regulate money in politics and it somehow finds its way one way or another. And I kind of wonder if that's not what's going to happen with gas prices. But we'll find out. We will find out. Um, the other big news this week, Scott, I mean, besides the just horrendous winter storms that are still going on, even though it's March, uh, is this Los Angeles school strike, support workers down there, bus drivers, custodians, um, a lot of the folks that really make the system work uh, have gone on strike. Teachers walked out with them. This is a three-day action. Um, Really a big first test, I would say, for new mayor Karen Bass down there. She has kind of stepped in to try to mediate things. Um, But, you know, I think this really speaks to the economic challenges facing a lot of people in this state. Absolutely. And, you know, they're living there down among the you know, with lifestyles of the rich and famous all around them. Uh, the average salary is somewhere in the $20,000, uh, $25,000 range. Um, and, you know, it's tough. And, and I think what you're seeing, too, is a lot of support from parents who are, of course, inconvenienced and unhappy that their kids aren't in school. Uh, but uh, I think they also identify with the claims and the, the demands that these workers, many of whom were on the front lines during the uh, pandemic, uh, cleaning classrooms, driving buses, uh, and don't get a lot of respect. And I think, uh, you know, they can identify with those folks in many cases because they live among them. They are their neighbors. And uh, we'll see how this goes. Teachers are also negotiating at the same time. So um, I'm sure they're keeping a close eye on all of this and how it goes. But, you know, we have seen some politicians. Uh, Adam Schiff was down there on the front lines. Barbara Lee, both Senate candidates uh, have endorsed this. Um, so I think there I think and I think the school district understands. I've heard the school superintendent say, look, there has been disparate treatment of these workers and we want to try to rectify that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also just such a tough time right now in general. You know, we're still seeing these really deep impacts of the pandemic on learning and on children. Um, and I'm sure the disruptions are really tough for a lot of families to kind of deal with. But on the other hand, as you said, I think, you know, what we do see is um the fact that our public schools also serve a lot of the same folks who are represented. Um, but but I do think it'll be fascinating. I mean, this is a- aimed to be, you know, just a three-day action, although they have said that they could go back out. Um, you know, I-, I mentioned this is a test for Karen Bass. She really came in with a lot of expectations. I just heard an interview with her where she talked about how happy she was that a lot of things around, say, trying to break down red tape around homelessness have actually gotten a lot of buy-in. But these types of labor disputes, as our next guest can tell us as well, are really challenging. And you have such a large school district down in L.A. Um, It is really a big group and getting a union, you know, even if you reach a deal with the folks at the table, 
making sure everyone's on board. I mean, that is an art form. It yeah, really is. Yeah, and big picture, this is also just about how expensive it is to live in California. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of people deciding to leave. They're working remotely, living in other cities and other states. Uh, L.A. is an expensive city, one of the most expensive probably in the country. And it's it's very difficult. Many people have to live far from where they work, which makes for longer days, less time with their families. So it's, you know, there there's just a lot going on. And, you know, you could even say, well, and this is all related to housing. You know, we're not building enough housing, you know, in California. So uh, it, these are complicated problems and the solutions are not easy. And, of course, we're in a time of economic uncertainty. Right. And so it's not like the schools are flush with a lot of extra cash to hand out. No, absolutely not. All right. We are going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be joined by California Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Jennifer Barrera. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I am Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. Today we're joined by Cal Chamber President and CEO Jennifer Barrera. Her organization represents some 14,000 California businesses who employ about a quarter of the state's workforce. Jennifer, welcome to The Breakdown. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And as you heard at the top, we were discussing this oil special session. This was uh, a proposal from the governor that the business community came out swinging against when it was a tax and a penalty. What are your thoughts now with this final package that, you know, from his perspective, really aims to just add some transparency to this whole oil process? We appreciate the efforts and discussion by the governor's office, but we definitely still have concerns with the proposal that's currently being debated in the legislature right now. One, um, you know, as a broader business community, uh, from that perspective, we definitely have concerns with the government 
uh, determining when a private sector company has made too much money in profits and coming in and setting a penalty. A penalty versus a tax, I think that's still up for debate discussion as to what it really is. Um, and then, of course, this is, you know, the governor has even said this is a uh, a big a big proposal that hasn't been done before. Um, and yet we are expediting the process with regards to a hearing yesterday, a vote today on one house, a vote next week uh, in the other house when we have months in the legislative session to really discuss and debate something along these lines. California, of course, is a deep blue state, uh, and but the chamber, you know, is pretty powerful. You've got some big members who have a lot of money. Do you feel like on an issue like this that you have a place at the table? Do you feel like you're listened to uh, in a way that you feel is, you know, adequate? Our feedback and, uh, and comments are given proper consideration. Um, but with something like this that is uh, political, as much as it is policy driven, there is a challenge with ultimately the uh, uh, makeup of the legislature and whether or not we're able to kind of really stop, delay or amend uh, something this big. Can I ask just on the merits? I mean, I think supporters, most of the Democrats in the legislature would say, hey, a lot of industries provide a lot more information about the way that, you know, what goes into both what they spend and what they make. Uh, what What is the argument for more transparent or against more transparency, rather? I mean, I don't necessarily think that there is a lot of industries that disclose the amount of information that they're requesting the oil and gas companies to necessarily disclose. And I think some of the comments that were raised in the earlier discussion about, you know, antitrust laws, trade secret. Those are all proper considerations that need to be considered as a part of these disclosure requirements. Aside from that, you know, transparency isn't a bad thing. It's just how how it is created and the disclosure requirements that are a part of it. Well, we do want to uh, talk more about policy and politics, but we always like to talk a little bit on the show about people's background, where they came from. And I think you earned a degree from Cal State Bakersfield. Um, did you grow up in the Central Valley? I did. I grew up in a very small town northeast of Bakersfield. Tell us about it. What was growing up there like? Uh, it was, you know, at the time, I probably didn't think it was so great. But now looking back, I think about what uh, an amazing uh, opportunity was to grow up there. The town is in the Lake Sabella, Kernville region, which was recently on the news because of um, some major flooding that happened up there as a result of the storms. It is a small town of about 10,000 people um, in the mountains. It's kind of a uh, remote location for uh, people from L.A. to go and camp enjoy the outdoor life. There's plenty of hiking. Uh, the Kern River obviously runs through it, so there's river rafting and kayaking. It was uh, a great experience to grow up there, a very small town community. So uh, what were your parents doing for work? Were, were they business owners or were they political at all? Like, is there, was there any foreshadowing of your career path? <laughs> not at all, not in the least. Uh, both of my parents were educators. My mom was a teacher, kindergarten teacher. She moved around between kindergarten, first grade, and second grade. My dad was a high school teacher, ultimately went into uh, school administration, uh, but nothing really political in my upbringing that would have foreshadowed uh, my position now at Cal Chamber. What do they think of what you're doing now? Uh, they think it's wonderful. My family thinks it's very interesting. It is um, an, a, a different place in a different world than where they worked and where many of my siblings work. And so they just find it fascinating when I talk about what's going on at the Capitol. So you ended up going uh, to get a law degree after you graduated from Cal State Bakersfield. What was your intention with that? What, what do you do? Think you, what direction did you think you might go? 
when I got a law degree, I really didn't know uh, where where I was going to go. But in law school, it was very much discussed that everybody would go into litigation. That was like the natural path for uh, almost all the law students. And so I kind of just thought, OK, I want to go into litigation and do litigation, which is ultimately what I did right after law school is practice law. Um, doing litigation for uh, several different firms um, and then ultimately decided that just wasn't the right fit for me. Well, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> you you did work for that uh, law firm in Sacramento, and I think you represented employers in some of those litigation issues ranging from like wage and hour disputes to wrongful termination. What did you learn from that? Do you think that gave you more of the sort of pro-business or business-friendly attitude that you that the chamber has? Yeah, it definitely shaped my opinion on on California law uh, in general. And I remember when I was practicing um, and applying some of these laws that had obviously been passed through the legislature, I would think to myself, like, if the legislators only knew uh, that, you know, this was causing this type of harm in the business community or in the litigation environment, then surely they would change some of these provisions. And so when I you know, got the opportunity to go and start lobbying for Cal Chamber on behalf of labor and employment specifically, I was thinking, you know, this is going to be great. I can just show them and tell them these are unintended consequences that are being created as a result of some of these laws that you've passed. And then, of course, um, I realized that politics plays a part in all of this. <laughs> and well, it's not just, just a matter. A <laughs> <laughs> it's not just a matter of correcting a few things here and there. I want to ask you, though, about internal politics, because as I mentioned, y'all re- represent 14,000 businesses. And I would assume a mom and pop, you know, a boba shop, let's say that's where my kids love to go all the time. Boba, right, is going to have very different concerns than Chevron. How do you guys balance those? Is there does it depend on how much money somebody pays to be a member? Like, is there a hierarchy to what you all advocate for, especially if there's conflicting viewpoints? It's a good, always a good question that comes up with our uh, 14,000 plus members. And we do have uh, different members from different industries of California, but also different sizes, as you mentioned. It actually doesn't come up as often as you would think. And some of the general business concerns uh, regarding costs or mandates or regulations are applicable to both smaller and larger businesses. It's just in what form and in, in what degree, really. Um, and so we don't have that many conflicts that come up. Small businesses, of course, are probably more susceptible to some of the costs, and I think our larger businesses are certainly sensitive to that. Um, they also appreciate the small businesses are really a huge part of our economy, um, a, a significant portion of the actual businesses in California, and we need to be protective of them. And so I think there is somewhat of a um, uh, uh, looking out kind of from the bigger businesses as well, so not to impact our smaller businesses. The only time that we really have a conflict is when there is a true policy uh, dispute or uh, disagreement amongst members, usually in the same industry, that just don't agree on how uh, a certain policy should be resolved. Yeah. Those are where our conflicts come up, but not necessarily between bigger or smaller businesses or even businesses in different industries. Yeah, and with so many members, I can imagine that consensus is just not possible. But I'm thinking, you know, we were talking about the oil industry, and, you know, there's a, the, the chamber consistently takes, I think, a pro-oil industry position. You might disagree with that. But you also, I'm guessing, have some green energy companies, solar solar energy, wind energy companies who feel very differently about these issues uh, in terms of their bottom line. How do you resolve those things? Are they even resolvable? Yeah, we actually don't have a pro-oil or gas uh, policy agenda. Our policy, our energy uh, policy agenda, agenda is technology neutral in the sense of that we need all 
potential technologies available and accessible uh, in our market in order to make sure that our energy market is both reliable and cost effective for the consumer. Oil and gas is a part of that energy market. Uh, despite you know some of the politics against it, they're going to continue to be a part of our oil and gas uh, market or energy market, excuse me. They're gonna be a part of our energy market for many years to come. Um, you know, I think, and I may be off on my statistics, but only about 1% of the cars right now on the on the highway are electric vehicles. So it is going to continue to be a part of our uh, energy sector for many years to come. But with that said, there's also a lot of great things happening in the clean energy space. Um, there's a lot of new developments and new technology. Hydrogen is something that obviously is super being conser uh, considered as an alternative for some of those hard to electrify sectors. Um, you know, there's solar, there's wind, uh, hydro. So there's a lot of exciting things happening in the clean energy space that I think are all important uh, and should be a part of our energy market, again, to make sure that we have a reliable and cost-effective energy market. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I am Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. Our guest today is Cal Chamber CEO and President Jennifer Barrera. You know, we mentioned at the top the, the deep blue political nature of this state. We have a supermajority of Democrats in the legislature. And, you know, there's a lot of narrative right now. I mean, it's not new, but I think it's kind of taken hold in a different way post-pandemic around the business climate in California. Businesses fleeing here. Um, and it feels a bit, a bit like whiplash, right? Like last year, Tesla was moving to Texas, but then a few weeks ago, they opened a new headquarters in the on the peninsula. What do you make of that debate? And how do you kind of view the business climate here in general? I would say that, you know, that we're the California Chamber of Commerce. So I want to see businesses grow here, expand here, stay here in California. I think there's a lot of great things that California still has to offer for uh, businesses, as uh, has been repeated many times. We're the fourth largest economy in the world. We have a workforce. We have the great, you know, um, higher education system here that develops our workforce. So, again, a lot of great things that are happening uh, for California and a reason to attract California businesses here. With that said, um, I think there is no question that California definitely has some challenges with regards to the policies it creates. And and while we we know that, you know, some of these policies may not be uh, changed with the exception of a few that we're working on, um, you know, as they go forward, as the legislators go forward, I think they need to take into consideration that a lot of these policies that they want to accomplish uh, while valid needs to be crafted in a way that does not have the unintended consequence of harming business. And I don't think really any legislator or public official wants, you know, drafts legislation and says, I want to kill business here, with some exceptions, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> but for the majority of people all understand that business is a critical part of our economy. It's our taxpayer base. They contribute it to our economy and they want to see businesses be successful, obviously, in order to con uh, continue to make California competitive. It's just, again, how do you craft that policy? To achieve the goal of both both whatever the priority is and not harming business. Well, There's a you, lot. yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, in terms of the pandemic, which of course was a huge upset to business and many other things in our in our state and country. You know, California took one approach, shutting things down. Other states like Florida took a very different approach. We can get into that squabble later. But how do you think? Uh, how do you think California in general uh, handled the pandemic with regard to balancing both economic vitality and public health and safety. There are so many things that I can probably say, you know, with regards to what we could have or should have done. At the time, 
Um, you know, I will say that the governor's office, uh, specifically GoBiz, was certainly working hand in hand with businesses to try and really mitigate the impact. I think they were very concerned, obviously, with, again, what a statewide shutdown would look like. So, you know, looking back is, I think, an unfair perspective when you're really going through it at the time in a pandemic what nobody had seen for years. Um, it's hard to evaluate, right, what the best move forward is between making sure that the uh, Californians are, are safe and protected from this uh, you know, deadly virus versus, you know, maintaining the engine of the California economy. Um, you know, there's things that I think that I look back and think about with regards to imposing COVID sick leave and some of these um, requirements with regards to uh, employees who had been let go or laid off that were probably, from my perspective, a little onerous on businesses, especially as they were suffering with you know, just trying to keep their business going remotely or in the limited fashion that they were able to. Um, but nonetheless, again, I, it's hard for me to to criticize or challenge uh, uh, the government as they were dealing with a once in a lifetime really pandemic. Do you ever feel like as a business community, both in California and nationally, like y'all are kind of stuck between these culture wars happening? Like on the one hand, we have onerous regulations in California. On the other hand, Ron DeSantis is going, you know, to battle with Disney over their LGBTQ policies. Like, and I could imagine from where you sit, like that's all just a little bit frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Um Yes, you know, I think some of these social uh, or political discussions definitely make their way into the business community and makes things challenging. You know, I hear from our members who obviously have national operations that it is a little bit of whiplash between a heavily blue Democrat state versus a heavily red Republican state. In this state, they're supposed to do things one way. In another state, they're supposed to do things one way. And really, at the end of the day, they just want to run their business and obviously uh, be successful for both themselves and their employees. And so, you know, things like um, ESG uh, or yeah. diversity and inclusion are all things that are starting to really kind of be pushed um, on these national companies, even when we talk about, you know, climate change, climate risk, investments, kind of dictating how they should invest their their uh, their profits or their revenues is all kind of coming in to the, the discussion. And it is extremely challenging because of the politics behind it and the inconsistency between the states. One of the things the chamber is perhaps best known for, at least among those who pay attention, is the job killer bill list. Uh, every year the chamber adds, I think you added one today, as a matter of fact, um, to that list. Um, and, you know, the, the record is, you know, kind of mixed. I think, you know, Gavin Newsom signed a couple of bills last year that were on the job killer list. Um, how do you decide what goes on? What's the criteria? And like, are there wobblers where you're just not sure? has been very successful and I will have to give credit to my predecessors um, for, for creating it, but it has been successful despite the administration. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of debate and discussion that the job killer list would lose its uh, success when Governor Brown took over and then of course when Governor Newsom was elected and yet it still remains a pretty, pretty successful list. And I think that goes to the fact that we are very selective as to which bills go on there and uh, goes through uh, several levels of review internally with regards to what goes on the job killer list. We really again look at whether or not a bill is going to uh, raise or costs on a business, discourage a business from growing or expanding here in California. Um, or limiting their ability to invest in their workforce in California. And so why we tell our members uh, that there are a lot of bad bills out there that we will oppose, not every bill is a job killer from our perspective. So last year, um, I 
could get the exact numbers, but I think we had somewhere around 22 job killers on our list this year. Um, you know, we're still adding some, as you mentioned, we just added one today. I think we'll probably get there around that number. And, you know, there's 2,600 bills introduced in the legislature. So very few make it on that uh, job killer list, but that's because we're so selective as to what is actually a job killer. All right, just a few minutes left here, but I know one thing that you and the chamber are working hard on is passing um, a revisement to the Private Attorney General's Act, a nearly two decades old law that lets employees sue employers on behalf of the state. I think there's agreement that, that, that there's problems with it, but you are all arguing that the Labor Commission office is a better place to handle this. Um, we've had investigations in KQED showing that they are years behind, that people who have essentially gone through a process proven that their wages are stolen still can't get that final hearing. Is it a good time to to make a big change when, or do we need to shore up that process first? Well, certainly we want to make sure that employees have uh, an ability to get their, their claims heard and resolved in a timely fashion. And the delay that's going on in the Labor Commissioner's office, um, you know, there was just a discussion yesterday about doing an audit to make sure that they truly understand all of the reasons why there's a delay so that they can resolve those issues. Um, we want, obviously, if there's a staffing shortage to help the labor commissioner hire additional staff to process these claims. But on, if you do a comparison, it doesn't necessarily, I think, mean that you have to say, you know, you can't do one without the other in the sense of PAGA has been an experiment for almost 20 years and all of the data shows that it's not working. And in fact, employees don't do well under PAGA. It's really the trial attorneys who are benefiting from this law. Employers are getting leverage for billions of dollars. Employees are walking away with very little. And again, the trial attorneys are taking um, the largest portion as opposed to the labor commissioner's office where yes, there is a delay with some of the hearings, um, but overall employees still fare far better in the labor commissioner hearing process than they do going through PAGA. And so if our ultimate goal is to expedite and be efficient with regards to employee recovery, then that's really where we should focus our resources are and eliminate this uh, the PAGA labor code provision that has been ailing both businesses and employees for years. Just really quickly, we're almost out of time. What does success look like? What's your like? What would your top goal be for 2023? Oh, 2023 would uh, be to. Uh, pursue again our PAGA reform and uh, ultimately have success on that, stop some of these bills that we know will be detrimental to the business community and then really advance, um, you know, things like housing development in California. It's a big issue for all of our employers to have uh, employees be able to find uh, affordable housing, uh, reduce costs on employers, um, and ultimately help uh, develop our workforce for the jobs that we need today, but also the jobs that we know are coming up in the future. See, we found something she agrees with on some labor, right? Housing development. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Jennifer Barrera, CEO, President of the Cal Chamber. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That is going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineer today is Jim Bennett. I'm Scott Schaefer. Find more of KQED's politics coverage by subscribing to our Political Breakdown newsletter. You'll find it at kqed.org slash newsletters. And I'm Marisa Lagos. We'll see you next time.
I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.